Welcome to this week's edition of Two Men in the Middle, where two men in the middle of the heartland pontificate about politics, news, and current events. I'm Brandon Kinnig. I'm Craig Huey. So, Craig, uh, this last week has been the Trump show all over again. So let's start there. Trump making headlines, again, getting his name out in the media, broadcasting his imminent arrest and indictment, uh, trying to grift off of it. And so the world waited breathlessly for this. Yeah, that didn't happen. Indictment to happen, which didn't happen. Yeah, Brandon, he only made like 1.5 million in in money <laughs> off of that announcement. So I mean, for Trump, that's a pretty solid week ish yeah. work of of trading. Not as much as those uh, uh, NFT trading cards, though, right? <laughs> were those were those ninety nine dollars? And you got like a set of something. They were. He actually like made out very well. I heard those. he made like over five million dollars yeah. off of that. Which again. I'm sorry, but if you can hear the sound of my voice and you bought one of those cards, you need to look around you and kind of and take think about that. That was all just happening. based on what one or two posts that he did. I mean, and to you know make five mil. I mean, not he, bad. he just cut a little video. Yeah, just think if he was on Twitter. He's back on <laughs> Facebook now, but Facebook really isn't Trump's thing. No. I, what, what this week showed us is again that when Trump decides to, he can dominate a week's worth of news cycle like he did in the old days. But it has to be something in his wheelhouse. And victimhood and um, the state is coming for me. I'm going to be punished for all the good I did as, as president. The deep state won't let me be. There's no way they're going to let me run for a second term, uh, which they took away from me anyway, and, and represent the good people of America again because victim, 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 victim. So he got right back in his sweet spot. I, I don't really like this indictment out of New York. Trump has enough legal trouble coming in his future. There are enough things that have legitimate evidence and and, and legitimate charges behind them coming out of Georgia, uh, Mar-a-Lago, the J6 committee. Charges are coming for him. Uh, this one is is the weakest of, of the four or five criminal cases that are potentially coming against him. And I can't explain this legally, but all I know is this state charge to be a felony relies on a federal charge that the Trump and Biden DOJ failed to bring. So right. this whole state charge of what he did with how he paid off Stormy Daniels, what Cohn paid her off, and then he paid him off out of his his campaign funds, I believe is the core of the of the of, of the argument here. To even make this charge, it's relied upon a federal charge that they didn't go go ahead with. So this is this is weak tea by New York all the way around. Not saying he didn't do it. Not saying this isn't a crime. Not saying this is something that isn't even punishable. And we're going to go through some examples of times it has been punishable. But in the grand scheme of what everything Trump has done and what he's facing, I just don't think this is the one worth worth leading off with. I kind of agree with the folks that say either pull this back, take this off the table, let's see what happens. If for some reason you don't get the pound of flesh out of him legally that all Democrats are demanding, we can play this card at at, at any time. Yeah, this isn't the case in all cases. No. And as you said, it is the weakest. It, it's really kind of threading a needle to make this charge work. It doesn't mean that it can't be successful and a jury may not sure. find him guilty. Um, the only positive is that um, Michael Cohen is a pretty big witness, and obviously he's cooperating fully with And has already gone to jail for the same crime. He has, yeah. Uh, but as you said, this is also goes reaches back the furthest in time. Because this is going Seven back to years. The, yeah, the 2016 yeah. campaign before he was president. All of the other cases reflect his time in office, you know, actual yeah. conduct and um, possible criminality that was done, alleged criminality, while he was still president. And, and those cases are much stronger, particularly I'm really 
more fascinating watching the uh, Fulton County case out of Georgia with the election tampering interference there, which I think is, is stronger. And of course, you have the DOJ cases um, as well. And um, and I have a lot of confidence in Jack Smith, the mm-hmm. independent um, prosecutor who was appointed to handle that case, because this guy has grit. He knows his stuff. He yeah. prosecuted uh, criminal cases in The Hague yeah. um, against war criminals. So you this is a picture a tough of this guy. guy? Oh, yeah. He's he looks tough. like a very serious he's dude. He's a serious, yeah. tough guy. Like, this is not a guy that'll be pushed around, right? Well, <laughs> that's the it, thing, because that's been the knock against yeah. uh, Merrick Garland, that he has been, yeah. you know, hesitant. And he's not the bulldog. He's not the bulldog that is needed at the, right now. I think this... This the case out of New York. People tend to fall into two camps. One is pro- predominantly Democrat, where it's like Trump has played fast and loose with the with the rules and the law his entire life. Yeah. If you hang out with Trump long enough, you're going to get involved in criminality. In criminality. If you tip over any rock in his past, you're going to find criminality. So I don't really care about the weakness of this charge or if there's some weird. Uh, legal play back and forth of some theory of charging a crime in state that didn't get charged to a federal crime. I don't. I don't understand all of that, and I don't. I don't really care. I think most people who who support this indictment will say he's a criminal. He's been a criminal for life. If it's not this, it'll be something else. Who cares? Let Let's just move mm-hmm. forward with what we have and let the chips fall where 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 they may. And I have to fight constantly not to fall into that that category right you can't just say since trump is a bad guy and been a bad guy his whole life charging him with this is the same as charging him with something in georgia or charging something out of out of j6 i think they're completely separate and this is the one don't let in some ways we're letting trump kind of test out some of his strategies against these upcoming indictments this is the one that he can honestly point to and say you've got to be kidding me so seven years ago, I paid off a, a woman I had sex with to avoid some embarrassment to my wife. Th- that's something that a lot of people can identify with. And I think a lot of people are saying, okay, this just doesn't make sense to go through all of this. What is going to be the end game? Trump is not going to go to jail. He's not going to be perp walked in an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. What are we really getting out of this except rubbing that, that scratching that cathartic itch that Democrats have had for seven, eight years now about this guy and seeing him in jail. It will be satisfying if Trump does get arrested. There will be a little bit of my id that that feels good watching him go into court. But after that, this case is going to go away, I think, very, very quickly after that. I think so, too. And we didn't see an indictment this past week. So I I assume if one's going to happen, it'll be this week. But there's also been speculation that... And you think an indictment is coming at some time out of I do. I think it doesn't get to this point, and this type of information doesn't get leaked unless an indictment is forthcoming. And at this point, it would be just disastrous to try to walk it back or to not indict uh, when you come this far. Yeah. So I think it's coming. It's interesting because I think (laughs) there is an argument to be made to have one of the stronger cases go first out of the gate to, you know, but... uh, that that may not be the case. The MAGA crowd has really used this as a kind of a lightning rod uh, to claim that there is no here here and that, you know, this is, you know, to make it this a campaign finance issue. I mean, they've done everything from comparing this yeah. to Bill Clinton. I mean, so Trump has done everything but come out and say, everybody grab a bat and go out and start beating on things. Yeah. He's done everything except say, it's time to get violent. Well, folks. I mean, so he had this Truth Social post uh, just the other day, March 24th, where he also said that uh, potential death and destruction 
on on such a false charge could be catastrophic for our country. So again, he's fanning those flames. It's, and it's, it's almost like he said, okay, so I didn't do it on the 6th. Watch this. I'll make sure you know I do it now. Right. I mean, he called for protest before he made this even more direct inflammatory post. And I guess what gets me is what I find so frustrating is these Republicans that come out and say, you know, this DA should be prosecuting because of what may happen, because of the yeah. country being torn apart. Well, again, let's be honest. The only reason that would happen is because you have a mass of people that have been led to believe a big lie. And elected Republicans are complicit in that because they refuse to push back and lean on that because they're afraid of that same yeah. base of voters. So instead, they just say, oh, this is bad because of what could happen. Well, how about you like use your platform and actually say, hey, you know, you've been lied to by this guy. We yeah. need to move on as a party. And instead, the party keeps falling back in this old trap of defending Trump. Whereas when these types of things when they would arise, I mean, if you're not going to push back, then don't say anything at all. Instead, it's like deja vu, right? So these, uh, there's this um, imminent announcement of charges forthcoming, and all of these Republicans step in line and start defending Trump and just calling out the prosecutor. It's back to the same old, same old. And that's what enables Trump to play the victimhood card successfully, yeah. rally the base behind him, and pretty soon— you know, we're back where we were in 2016, where he's rolling through the primaries. I mean, it's like we've learned nothing. And it's the nature of this case and the nature of the DA's behavior is why Mitt Romney and middle-of-the-road Republicans, they they have to defend Trump by default on this. If I'm a Republican, who a senator, who wants to step out and speak out against Trump, this isn't the avenue to do it. Because yeah. there are so, so many problems with, with this case. If this were Georgia, I agree. I think you would see more Republicans say, hey, this is the line that I'm not crossing. This is obviously bad behavior. I'm going to say, no, we, we can't support this. But because of the behavior of the prosecutor, because of the nature of the law, the fact that it's dependent on a federal charge that wasn't there by Biden's DOJ, if I'm a Republican senator, I'm kind of in no man's land now. This is where Trump has put me. I can't come out. I don't want to come out and defend his actions or him, but I can't give any type of positive feedback or or show any type of encouragement for what the DA in New York is doing. So I sympathize with Republican lawmakers that are doing this in some way. But this is also a, a beast of your making that we're entering the final stages of whatever the Trump life is going to be. And if he brings down the whole party with it, so be it. You've all have earned that. And that's just what it's going to happen. Right. But, but, but right now, if I'm a Republican, I'm almost forced to defend Donald Trump. And that's what he wanted. And that's what he got out of this week. Yeah. But I, I, I think there's a difference between either saying nothing or giving a muted response versus yeah. coming out with something that's over the top, zealous, you know, over defensive of, <laughs> of who Trump is and just going all out on the, you know, inflammatory rhetoric. With, Do you I listen mean, to what Trump? Do you already. listen to a lot of the Republican media entertainment wing? I mean, like Charlie Kirk and Hugh Hewitt. And... Small doses. I follow bits and pieces. Okay. Of it. Yeah. So talking about what the what the proper Republican response should be or the proper conservative response, there's a group of conservative media that media that have basically said Ron DeSantis ought to surround Mar-a-Lago and he should fight the extradition <laughs> back to New York because again, this is this is unlawful. This is political. Everybody knows there's no there there. This is 100% them victimizing Trump, trying to keep him from the nomination of the Republican Party. 
that's there that's, is a slice of the base that so you're going to be competing for. That that's what you gotta. That's what you're put. That's, that's insane, what you're up yeah. against. I mean that that's ridiculous. There's no possible way DeSantis does anything to to, no. to interject in an extradition of Trump. There's Have no we gone way. back in a time warp to 1950s Alabama, George Wallace? I mean, a sitting governor, you know, fighting extradition, uh, you know, for a federal uh, a criminal charge. Yeah. Like, no, that's not. <laughs> it, it, it that would be that would be crazy again it would be precedent setting uh, and you, DeSantis isn't going to do god that. you said George Wallace just in that moment he thought he was making history in that yeah. moment he thought he was on the right side of history and just looking back at that now you're right how terrible that is DeSantis is way too smart to get involved no well and he's like already that. said he's not going to get involved no. when he's been asked no. about this he's staying out of it and so you know and he's he's done that while taking like pot shots at trump as well like at the same time saying well you know i don't know about this business i can't really relate to you know the hookers and the yeah (laughs) i thought that was pretty clever that was clever listen i don't i know nothing about paying off hookers for sex so i I can't really i can't really stay in this and and the great thing is like it's just enough because you know any criticism even mild like that is enough to get trump's ire and trump responds immediately because he can't help himself because (laughs) do you think we'll see a big demonstration for trump do you think we'll see? Because at some point, I think in the next two weeks, he'll get on a plane, he'll go to New York, he'll go in the Manhattan's district's office, he'll get his picture taken, fingerprinted, and you know he'll plead not guilty, and he's out on ROR. I'm guessing is how this is going is, is yeah. going to go. I think. I mean, if we do, I think we're likely to see one probably in Mar-a-Lago. I don't know that we'll see one yeah. in New York or near the courthouse. I now, don't. There, there have been indi- I mean, there have been threats made. There was uh, a white powder that turned out to be nothing that was yes. sent to the DA. So there's going to be isolated things like that. And I think there's going to be more of that, especially as we you know get to, to trial stage. So that's only going to escalate. But I don't expect to see a huge demonstration in New York, like outside the courthouse or anything. They've already taken a lot of precautions, like yeah. the NY. PD has been mobilized, and I think that's going to deter um, any of the big demonstrations that would, you know, result in something crazy. But I could definitely see, like, you know, them surrounding Mar-a-Lago and doing something akin to those, yeah. uh, what they used to do on the water with the big boat. Oh, uh, I never thought about that. They got, like, a boat parade boat or parade. a flotilla did, or something Yeah, the flotilla. There. They yeah. did something with vehicles, too, in the lead-up to the 2020 election, if you remember, where they kind of took over one of the highways. Yeah. And- but you know. When Trump gets all that play to go to New York, he's going to truth out or contact the media to say, I'm headed to New York. Oh, he's going hey, to everybody give them information now, every step of the now way. Now's yeah. the time. He is angling for some sort of large, let's say, ruckus protest. He'll mobilize. Yes, very, he's going to do everything the that tell them to mobilize. So, yeah, the question will be in the aftermath of uh, January 6th and you know what's happened with those charges, if anybody's willing to go out on a limb – um, there's always going to be some people, so it's going to be the a matter of like extent. I mean, to close out Trump's behavior in this, he's having a big rally at Waco, Texas tonight on the oh, anniversary that they the government the ATF charged the Branch Davidians uh, in Waco, burnt that place to the ground. I think by accident, but really should have known yeah. what they were doing. And I think some children died. Oh, they did. That. Yes. So it was very controversial. You yeah. can't tell me Trump doesn't know the history of this date or doesn't know the history of that happened in Waco. Well, uh, of course he does. Again, he's just seizing this. Again, it fits into a paradigm yeah. for him of um, the deep state. Look at what they did to them. They yeah. can do that to you. What they're doing to me, they can do to you. When he was first, when he first announced the news of his indictment, uh, he said, they're not just coming after me. They're coming after you. It's mm. that whole idea of conflating himself with 
the yeah. American people with the state, which is what um, dictators do, especially fascist dictators. Do you think he's going to reference what happened in Waco and reference it as state power run amok and link himself? Oh, I absolutely I expect him to do that because that's I just that what just dawned me, but. That's yeah. disgusting. I'm sure he will link himself Why to what happened in be Waco. Yeah, that's what he, I guarantee you that's what he's going to do. Ugh. I would be shocked if he does not do that tonight. So I will definitely check on those remarks to, to see. He's basically going to say the U.S. government is treating him like they treated the Branch Davidians in Waco. Yes, and that what happened in Waco will happen again unless people yeah. rise up and do something about it. Like it'll be something, it may not be that direct, but it'll be veiled in terms of people need to rise up and stop this from happening again. And I think I have my timeline right here, but if people have forgotten the Branch Davidians in Waco, a quick Google search will remind you of how crazy that got. Yeah. And I think you can draw a line from Ruby Ridge to Waco. Is that 1993, I think? It was sometime in the early 90s, yeah, 92, yeah, 93. Right. But I, There's the, also a new Netflix um, documentary that just on Waco, yeah, dropped. On yeah, that. that's it's supposed true. to be pretty good, which I, haven't I think seen Michael yet. Shannon plays the the kooky dude. Yeah, I, think I forget you're right. David Koresh. Koresh, I think. yeah, David Koresh, and that was a whole cult, cult leader. There yes, was, you know, sex, sex shit in there, of, like there's of children. The cult. Yeah, just a bad situation. But yeah, there's a I, there's widespread criticism, by the way, on how the government handled that, and that they did um, were too fast, rushed in too fast, obviously. There were children that died in that. They, you know, they they should have been much more cautious than they were, and so that is something that has you know been. That was also something that mobilized the militia movement in the U.S. Oh, for yeah. many years. Yeah. You know, and it's been uh, so. Again, Trump is playing with fire, but his people know what they're doing with that. So they're I, yeah. Yeah. God, I it just dawned on me of how he is going to use that date and that location, and that that's just going to be that's just going to be gross. Oh yeah, it's and, and the last thing. But the big thing about Waco was because I was in college during that time, and the debate was why not just pull back? Yeah, they're they're in a compound in the middle of nowhere. Just let them be. Over the course of three months, they'll come out to go down, and you just arrest right. them. Why, why did we have to do that? Well, and that's what everybody has said. But, it, I mean, it was similar to, like, what happened with the Ruby Ridge, right? There was yeah. a series of incidents like that where the government rushed in and, you know, and did wait. And, and, and granted, like, we haven't seen that type of um, strong-arm, forceful response since then. Well, I w- actually, I would say the exception would be— uh, Elian Gonzalez when he was yeah. um, taken in Miami, and but even that was that was Clinton, right? That was a long time ago. Well, yeah, but uh, but Ruby uh, Waco and Ruby Ridge were under Clinton. That was Janet Reno, Attorney General. Yeah, at the time. that was. Yeah. What What would happen if something like that happened today? Oh, in today's media environment, yeah. too, and with Fox, it would just be. Oh, I mean, yeah, it would be like a meltdown. I mean, it would be completely different than back then because of the our news cycle and the internet and how that mobilizes and radicalizes people to respond. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a catalyst that would have maybe national implications, that yeah. an incident that like would that ignite, would be one that of That would them. be like a flame yeah. igniting. So let's talk about, we identified two cases where a politician did something similar to what Trump is being accused of, was charged, and in, what, in both cases, they actually went to trial. Right. One is Democratic hopeful favorite John, John Edwards. Edwards. Yeah. For anybody to remember John Edwards, this was what? John nine, Kerry's. 90. Uh, no. Uh, John, so John Kerry's VP nominee in 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, but he ran for president. Didn't uh, he? He did yes. in 2008. Eight. And this is yes. where he got himself in trouble. Right. So John Kerry, if you Google John Kerry 2008, he's ever Democrat's dream. 
Right. He's a good-looking young guy. John Edwards, you mean. Not John, John Edwards. Yes. Right. I'm sorry. John Kerry is not every Democrat's dream, <laughs> no. and he's not a good-looking young Kerry man. John Kerry lost, by the way. But, so, and for those of you who know, Democrats um, have won the popular vote in every presidential election since 1992. <laughs> except Kerry. Except John Kerry yeah. losing to George W. Bush in There's 2004. There's nothing positive that excites you to vote about John Kerry. But John Edwards, he was the guy we wanted. Young guy, good-looking guy, trial lawyer, made a bunch of money off being a lawyer. Right. Speaks the part, looks the part. When we, when Democrats whip up in a lab who we thought the, the country would respond to for being a Democrat for president in the 90s, it was John Edwards. Handsome from the South. Handsome from the South. Everything going for him, except he's a complete piece of shit. Yeah. John Edwards, during his campaign, hired, I believe, his mistress, or she became his mistress after she hired him. She, she was a documentary filmmaker. Yeah, and Who was documenting his, yeah. his, uh, his campaign, and he just happened to they knock began her up. an illicit affair. While his pregnant. wife was battling cancer. And, that, and didn't he not even acknowledge a child? Like, that was oh, the whole thing. Yeah. He fought oh, even yeah. fought acknowledging there was, had to be a DNA it. test. All he that. paid off this woman. Uh, to have her not go to the media and talk about this child right. in a very similar fashion that Trump did. He was charged with a very similar crime, yep. went to jury, and it was a hung jury. So he didn't get convicted, but the jury could not decide if he was criminally liable for this, this payment or not. But that's one instance where but, high-level politician, head of a, you know, high up in a party, according to campaign with finance guidelines, though he did have to pay an FEC fine. Okay, so he did um, have to pay a fine for it. Yeah, I want to say it was like twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars, something like that. And I could see people sitting on that jury. You know, if my dad were on that jury, who this is a personal matter. It's thirty thousand. You know, the payment wasn't much. The payment from Trump to Stanley Daniels was one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which isn't a lot for no. Trump. What 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 are we here for? I can see people taking that approach to that, but we we bring out Edwards to show that there is precedent for people actually being charged with this during a campaign. There is, yeah. The other one is the 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 Republican old uh, Speaker of the House, Dennis, Dennis Hastert. Hastert, okay, and Hastert. He actually molested some kids, I believe, before he became Speaker of the House. House pages. So pages pages, are almost like interns, but they basically run errands on the House floor for uh, the members and the leadership. And so he had been accused of molestation of several of the House pages. So he acted horribly inappropriate with these folks. Right. And in the process of paying them hush money— he did something illegal. He paid them out of the wrong fund, somehow tied to his office or his campaign. He was convicted and spent 13 months in jail for this. So there is He was never actually charged on the molestation charges. No. Which, again, is a pattern that we see with the rich and powerful that get off on the most like egregious charges. Yes. Instead, they get booked on, kind of like the mafia, right? Mafia yeah. would always get booked on money laundering. Al Capone going to, to jail for tax evasion. Tax evasion. That's what yeah. it was. Tax evasion, not money laundering. Instead of like the actual underlying, more significant crimes. But this is a great point. They didn't charge him with the underlying crime. Where he got himself in trouble is how he paid the hush money. Yes. And that's what they took him to court on, indicted him. And I believe he spent 13 months in jail. Now, he probably spent 13 months in jail because the judge, he admitted to the molestation of the pages. I'm sure they may have rolled a little bit of that into maybe the maximum sentence they maximum, can give with yeah. him. But, but again, this is a charge that has a history of being recognized, identified, and it people is. have it, been indicted it's for It's not novel, this. yeah. It, it's, not, it's not completely novel. The so fact, you hear MAGA people comparing this to 
Bill Clinton lying under oath about his affair. Like, nah, those are apples and oranges. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Right. It's not the same thing. And the whole Bill Clinton investigation happened as part of a ha- impeachment trial in the in Congress, which was it, you know, it wasn't a criminal trial in terms of the way that that uh, went. But it's not, yeah, that's not an accurate comparison. The two we identified are. Where this is important, I think, to move forward is... I used to think that before somebody ran for president, they sat down and made an inventory of all the bad shit they've done, knowing that (laughs) I've got to solve some of this before I go, or let me look at this and make an honest decision. Is this worth running? Because you got to know everything is coming to the surface. You really think they do that? (laughs) No, they don't. No, they don't. They they don't. First of all, I I think they used to. I don't think they do anymore. Yeah, I think you underestimate the hubris of many of these people that just I am believe that they are owed the presidency or that the they deserve it. Me. The nation yeah. needs me. I need to, I mean, <laughs> so no, they don't do that because they don't see it as a problem and they don't have the foresight to put it true. It's inconvenient. Let's put it that way to consider it. And it would cause them to pause and to reassess. And they don't want to do that. They're focusing on uh, the nation needs me. I deserve this. You know, uh, well, don't you think they, they deserve me? To the death of accountability that we talked about yes. last week. Oh, absolutely. He knows. Everybody knows. I can explain that away. It won't be a problem. Um, I'm trying to think back through uh, who was who was Donna Rice. That was Gary Hart who sunk him, right? Yeah, that was 1988. 80-something. And she sat on his lap. Did they have an affair or was there just an alleged affair? No, they did have an affair. Okay. What, it, it was funny because his boat, wasn't his boat the monkey business? Yes. Was out the one? Yeah. And there's was, a great <laughs> picture of him sitting on, she's sitting on his lap on that boat. And after that, it's, it, it's done. So was that, it was either 84 or 80. I can't remember if that was uh, when Reagan's second term, 84, was that Bush senior 88 that he was running? I against? think this was 88. Okay. And maybe again, I, I am stuck in a nostalgia loop. Nostalgia, my definition, I'm longing for a time that never existed. Yeah. I guess I just like to think maybe that one of the things that could happen if we started charging people with more of this, we would force people to take an examination of their behavior and examine, do I really, really want to run for the highest office in in the world? Right. And that I think maybe, maybe at some point in time in our history, people were discouraged because they had those types of things in, in their past. And maybe that type of self awareness and self introspection would filter down to you know senate governor races maybe and we would have less instances of you know having people like herschel walker and georgia yeah. and others who had no business running but literally didn't yes. care because they're like oh, this isn't gonna hurt i me. guess that's what i'm trying to get to don't you think maybe i'll go back and i'll go back a few decades don't you think in the 60s and 70s or we'll just throw it wide open was there ever an era when a politician would do what you just said hey i'm looking through what I've done, how this is going to play. And I just, I'm just, I'm just taking myself out of consideration. I don't know. I mean, I, I would think to, to a greater degree than we have now, I can say at least, I think in previous eras, you would have people near them and people in their own party that would hold them accountable much more than we have now, because we're so polarized that both parties are just, you know, uh, popularity clubs for their uh, members, essentially. I mean, they, all they do is, you know, take the line of, their candidate whereas before you would have people that would stand up but the parties if you go back to the 40s 50s 60s and even 70s were much more diverse each 
party had a coalition. You had conservative Democrats, you yeah. had liberal Democrats, you had um, liberal Northeast Republicans and moderate Republicans. Uh, and so that diversity enabled there to be diversity of thought, more accountability. And now you don't have that because the parties are such so ideologically, mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, sound. I mean, there's no I, difference I think, there. I think you're right. And I think you just explained that to me is we shouldn't expect the individual candidate to do that type of examination with themselves. We need others around them to Because you're right. People that. who will run for president will always come up with a reason why existentially the universe needs me. And, and most it, people like that need others to ground them. Yes. They need others to and that's what the bring them back down to, to earth. Do. Yes. Hey, yeah. we, we know you want to. We know you can, but you can't because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And I think that's what's been kicked out. And that was the whole basis behind having the smoke-filled rooms, you know, which were lambasted, but now look not so bad in light of what we've seen over the last several years. The Smokefield Room would never have given you Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, not at all. Who was the governor for New Mexico? Richardson in uh, the 80s. Remember this guy? He was a big Clinton guy. Yeah, so that was Richardson. He was He was also, he became U.S. ambassador. Yes. Yeah. The rumor always was, because I always wanted him to run for president. The rumor always was he had so much shit in his closet, he made Clinton look like a choir boy. And they oh, really? had told him, hey, following Clinton, there is no way we can give you the nomination because all of this is going to come out and the country is just exhausted from Clinton. I guess we've, we've learned to not be exhausted by just taking this off the table and ignoring it and saying it doesn't matter, I guess anymore. Yeah. I mean, because once upon a time it would have mattered and, you know, and whole, uh, like we've talked about with Gary Hart, there's many others as well. Campaigns collapsed under those types of revelations. And today, I mean, we just shrug at them. Um, and you can look at it on presidential level, but again, I go back to Herschel Walker. Like, I mean, <laughs> there was once upon a time when everything had surfaced about Herschel Walker, that would have been enough. And I mean, he, he yeah. would have had no standing and none did of that. Did you see him. Lindsey Graham got an ethics violation? I did see that, yes. For like five times he was asking money for Herschel Walker while in a federal building, which is a no-no. No, you can't do that. You can't and do again, that. that is even, that seems like it shouldn't be notable, but it is because the ethics committee has been so weak in the last several yeah. years. and. This is the frustration with Congress, right? They police themselves. So their ethics committee that's staffed by their own members, they can choose to staff it or not to staff it, which they have at different periods in history. And there's such a lack of accountability. That's a big thing with um, campaign finance right now. So the uh, FEC doesn't have um, full... Um, uh, voting majority right now. Mm-hmm. So technically, they can't even have hearings and bring charges against candidates. And <laughs> Congress is in no rush to fill those open seats because they don't want their own members investigated. Yeah. I mean, it's and, ridiculous. And there is no more stigma for rich guy cheating on wife, right? We, we've, we've, there, there are no, no I think more. that's kind of baked. Maybe, maybe we, and, we, we make it bigger. Are there any more moral concerns that would bump a candidate out of consideration? I can't. No, I mean, no. Well, I'm past that. Concerns we, have taken a backseat to yeah. political power. It's just it's about the raw numbers. So true. I mean, Dana Loesch, who's with the NRA, had made a comment during the Herschel Walker. Uh, uh, yes, I scandals, remember that. Saying that uh, she didn't care if he had aborted, you know, the 5,000 yeah. bald eagle babies or something. Like, as long as he was in the Senate and we yeah. got the numbers we needed. That's all she cared about. As long about. as he votes who I want, that's all. we just don't care. Nothing else matters, yeah. So that's just another thing we can throw in the scrap heap of there is no more moral test. There are no moral questions to answer. If you give me power, so be it. That's what we're going to go with. And we'll just live with and excuse everything else. Right. And I I mean, and there's not even like a basic modicum and you don't have to get into like, 
I mean, sexual morality, because obviously that's always been an issue with candidates going back to the beginning yeah. of time. But what about just like, you know, telling the truth and just, you know, uh, being able to, you know, execute campaign finances correctly? I mean, there's like basic responsibility there that we've thrown out the window. Yeah. And if we're going to accept that politicians don't have to ever tell the truth and they can lie about everything, then we're only contributing to the breakdown of our system and this just, you know, universal notion that um, universal distrust that we have, right, in our political system. And the irony is people like Trump have gained prominence based on that by saying, well, the whole system is corrupt. Your politicians lie to you. He's doing the same thing, and he's you know yeah. continually growing in that. Uh, but he's also leveraging that to his advantage, like the just complete breakdown and distrust in the system. And what people don't realize is comparisons to other political systems – Vladimir Putin has been so successful in consolidating power in Russia since the early 90s um, with that same thing. With his media conglomerate, he puts all this stuff out there, and he causes people to distrust everything, right? So it's gaslighting at a maximum. And then people just get exhausted, and they tune out everything because they're like, I can't believe anything anymore. I don't care. Like, I really don't care if this politician is corrupt because they're all corrupt. It's that whataboutism. And that's what you see with Trump's defenders, right? Well, well, what about Clinton? What about – and so there's no nuance in terms of saying, well, this is different or this may be more severe. It's just they're all bad, so we don't carry their way. And Trump is like a political experiment that would take like 50 years condensed into eight. Yeah. Because he introduced so much different, so many norms were broke, so many things that used to matter didn't matter. Then we went through his presidency. The presidency itself from a policy and uh, from just what happened was fairly uneventful. We didn't go any big wars right. until you hit 2020, of course, with, with the pandemic. But the first three years of his presidency just looked like every other Republican presidency almost in terms of governing and policy um with the exception of norms being broken because i think if you look at it from the prism of norms broken and precedents set along with that those four years were like a decade in terms of all that happened but now we immediately get we, we immediately get some feedback on what the american population politically thinks of all of this change because the guy who did it and if he gets back in will do what he did from change and norm breaking times 100 is right back up to be revalidated and re-put back in the office. Yeah. Nobody, his own party hasn't told him no. Nobody has said, you have disqualified yourself by the things you have done. Now it's going to be time again for the American people, I guess, to and render what, a verdict on what they think of that. What, the word that sticks out to me in recent weeks that Trump has said in terms that gives us complete visibility into how he would act in office, retribution. I am he your sees retribution. This as, yes, taking out revenge on his political enemies. Uh, you know, he's already talked about signing this executive order that would wipe clean the federal bureaucracy yeah. of the public service and yep. replace them with his own political cronies at, you know, every level, uh, every government agency. That's his MO. So that's what we get, would get with Trump 2.0. I always ask anybody this, who talks about Trump this question, who is Trump's attorney general? <laughs> you you tell me. Yeah. Who, who <laughs> under Trump would take on the highest legal role in the United States? Who's his secretary of state? Mm. What What does his cabinet look like? Because, I mean, think about it this way. All of the A-level, B-level people were fired. And C-level people and C-level. are gone. So all you have now are kind of the bottom-of-the-barrel yeah. hacks, the people that literally have no experience doing any of this that are just going to be complete yes-men and women. That's, that's all that's left. <laughs> 
Well, I guess the only thing that stops Trump is the second topic we wanted to talk about. Ron DeSantis had a little bit of a soft launch kind of this week. He's he's stepping into the spotlight a little bit more. It didn't go 100%, I think, of how DeSantis wanted his his first initial volley into into the campaign to go. Yeah, no, it was it was rough. It wasn't seamless there um you know the timing wasn't good for him as we discussed with trump um coming out talking about his indictment um it was already botched based on uh, his ukraine position that he took last week with tucker carlson it's not a territorial dispute no not not at all and uh, (laughs) And he's flipped a little bit on that too he has so he admitted this week in an interview with pierce morgan that putin is a war criminal and a really bad guy um so he tried to again it's and this is why he has placated nobody because he tried to attempt to walk that back, although he really didn't. Like he, he still has a, you know, espoused a strong position on Ukraine being in the vital interest at all, other than just admitting the obvious mm-hmm. that yeah, Putin has yeah. committed war crimes. But that was enough for some of the hard right MAGA folks to then be upset because they think that he is vacillating on Ukraine and not not taking the position that Trump is taking. So he really has nobody happy with his position on yeah. Ukraine right now. And and taking that and going that direction in the interview with Pierce Morgan just a week after his comments with Tucker Carlson, people are saying he's he kind of does, he's trying to play it both ways. Yeah. And in the week that Trump got indicted. Yeah, that, that, of all times. Yeah. There. I was listening to a podcast this week. I forget which one it is, but they gave a little bit of the history of President Scott Walker's presidential campaign. And one of, the, Scott Walker. <laughs> one of the things they talked about, Scott Walker, for everybody to know, that's a Republican governor from Milwaukee. Who at one point polls were touting that he uh, was going to be the next president. Landslide. Yeah. Just give him the nomination. You, we're, we're good to go. Walker was young. He was articulate. He was what a lot of Repu- He was like our John Edwards. He, he's right. what a lot of people were saying. That's, that, 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 that's who we want. The thing that really got Walker in trouble is he tried to articulate a position on immigration. And instead of saying, as the governor of Wisconsin, immigration is not something that we deal with on a daily basis like they do in Arizona and Texas, and staking out a center-right, middle-of-the-road, defendable, um, kind of almost vanilla uh, 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 policy on immigration, Scott decided he was going to really show his chops. He was going to show his understanding on immigration, an issue that he really wasn't comfortable speaking with, had no history of speaking with. Scott Walker got himself so wrapped up around around um, Im, um, the topic of, of immigration, he proposed building a wall between the United States and Canada. <laughs> and he just kept talking he kept talking to the point where he was he he came out against natural born citizenship which i think would require a constitutional change to wipe out my point here being is sometimes as a governor when you make that step to the national stage you have to talk about topics that you're not familiar with you don't have an established talk track and not everybody in your state just looks at you like a like a seal flapping and nodding and telling you how great it is and that has derailed several governors yes desantis didn't quite do that to himself but he's following some of that that same path oh completely and the difference is like you can't run too far to your base to the yep. extreme of your base uh, because you have to win the general and you have to win those voters in the middle so scott walker um basically uh ruined his campaign in the primary yeah 
DeSantis is trying to win the primary, but um, may still lose it. But even if he wins it, he's doing it to the detriment of being able to win a general election mm-hmm. because he's ta- staking out positions that are so far yes. on the spectrum. And and that's what he has to realize because, <laughs> again, when you're looking at Trump, when you're looking at DeSantis, you look at those states that Biden won, and you look at those states last year and the congressional elections that remain blue, like you have to appeal to that middle and to those moderate disaffected mm-hmm. Republicans that voted blue last year. And what DeSantis and what Trump are doing are not keys to win a uh, winning formula to getting those voters back. And I think what, what DeSantis maybe is kind of starting to learn is that you're, you don't have to have a position on everything, but you need to pick the two or three things that are important to the base in the primary. You need to have those answers down cold. Right. The one th- lesson DeSantis and everybody needs to learn from Trump, there is an order of operations here. You win the primary first. Do not care about the general election, because if you don't get through the primary, you don't have a chance to get to the general election. And I think... DeSantis is trying to thread some needles about the general election that Trump knows. It's the base. It's the excitement of the base. It's winning the primary. DeSantis may, in trying to give the perfect answer or to, or to tackle a variety of positions, he may not excite the base the way that, that, that Trump knows how to, and he can't get through the primary. Trump is a candidate built for the primaries. Yeah. DeSantis looks like to me, I don't know if he can get through that or not. Well, and DeSantis has the misfortune of having a, a past record as a member of the House that he has to confront. Which we haven't even really gotten into no. yet. No, and Trump is exploiting that uh, likely successfully in states like Iowa, like, you know, his record on wanting to roll back entitlements like Medicare and Social Security and um, his position on um, ethanol, which is yeah. a big deal in Iowa. So even things that are more state level like that, Trump is exploiting and those could hurt DeSantis. And the interesting thing is Trump has been a political animal in terms of um, an, an anomaly in that Trump can change positions all day long and voters don't seem to hold him accountable. How, how, but that doesn't apply do that? to DeSantis. DeSantis how, is facing scrutiny. He's the only politician in my lifetime who's able to say, yeah, only these one. rules apply to you. None of it applies to me. Yep. It's actually seen as a negative if you, if you attack me. The only thing I can think of, the only reason that people allow that is because he comes from outside the political system. And for some reason, people give him a pass on that because they don't see Trump as a politician. Yeah. Even though he's been president now for four years, he's still not seen as a politician. And so he gets away with that where people like Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz Just and Sanders, none of them can. Yeah. They get they are scrutinized. They're held responsible. They get ostracized for their flip-flops, and they are defeated because of them by the same voters who hold them responsible, yeah. but not Trump. And Trump has mildly painted a picture of DeSantis's future for him by saying, hey, Ronnie, down there, I know you might think this is really funny, my $130,000 problems with the porn star, but don't you worry about it. I'm going to dig something up on oh, yeah. you. What and are- you have a very nice, attractive wife. She's in play. Oh, and by the way here's a picture of you with some teenage girls as a teacher just we're we're not going to fully blat but just just here's a preview several of times what your next year looks like. insinuated yeah with yes. those so these uh so back in his 20s DeSantis taught for a brief time which i didn't know until recently yeah he was a teacher and there's videos of him with young girls and students mm-hmm. of his and um they look like they're partying and so yeah, yeah. those are the photos where Queensberry rules don't apply to you ron right <laughs> you're gonna get it and Trump has already said, maybe there's a guy in your future. Or, or, no, wait, I'm sorry. I, I goofed that up. 
Trump was saying, <laughs> you, you learn about this when your past comes out. Your troubles with women, or, or maybe men, just casually throwing out there that DeSantis may have some sort of male gay sex scandal. It is, yeah, it is past affair, just, yeah. just to let you know, if you thought the bar would, you knew the bar was low, you have no idea. Oh, and can't you imagine that Trump would, uh, his people would go seek out some of these girls where they are now, get them up on a platform, do an interview, a press conference. Remember when Trump, his first debate with Hillary, he it brought was, it the was Clinton the most women. disgusting, masterful stroke I've ever seen. And put them in the front row He'll of the audience. The same He'll do the same thing with DeSantis. He'll bring them and put them in the front row of the audience. I still believe DeSantis is not running for the president. There. I will believe DeSantis is running for He's president. He's young enough he can afford to wait. The day the Florida state legislation changes the law in Florida that he does not have to resign as governor to run for president. Because he has to resign from Florida right. the day he announces. He is basically Which can still not do. the governor anymore. Yeah. He's done. He, he, he is no longer the governor. The thing that has put him in this position, the red wave of Florida that he created, the wokeism, woke goes to Florida to die, that all of that that's him is done the day he runs for president, announces yeah. his run for president. And he's never going back to it because he's termed out now as governor. So he is basically a man. He has put himself on an island. It's president or bust. I don't know if Ron wants to do that. Now, yeah. if he can convince the Florida legislation to change the law, which he can. I mean, that should be hard. They're kind of like a rubber stamp legislature. They do whatever he wants, but basically. Is that a good look for him? <laughs> yeah, uh, not, not so much, no. So you're too much of a puss to run, you know, knowing, he looks hey, weak. it's all or nothing. Yeah, he, he looks like he's not willing to yeah. commit fully. Ron DeSantis is not in a great position to run. It reminds me of that weak moment against Charlie Crist, the governor Mm -hmm. debate where Crist, you know, directly confronted him about running for president and he refused to give an answer. Remember, he just awkwardly sat there in silence and made a little smile. I say it again. He beat Charlie Crist by 20 points. Brandon, you could take him by 12. I could take him by eight. He's the most hated politician in Florida. Still have not seen anything with Ron yet that says he's running. Right. That was not a race. So he was up against a very weak candidate to begin with um and florida the united the rest of the country is not florida florida is a unique political environment there's nothing to suggest that desantis has national appeal beyond florida i haven't seen it to win some of these states i'd like to see that because i don't see that either the average age in florida is what a (laughs) hundred right it's It's the oldest state i believe it has to be the oldest it's up there yeah it's filled of old republicans that will vote republican just on automatic yeah so I don't know if DeSantis is this this juggernaut that some people think he he's got. No, because I mean Florida, even yeah, demographics isn't representative of the rest of the country no. because of that. No, so, yeah. a lot of the woke stuff where woke goes to die, that's not going to play in right. in parts of the country. I, I'm still convinced that DeSantis isn't running. He didn't show me anything this week that 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 shows me he's put in any prep work or is preparing himself to to run. Well, then if he doesn't run, then the, it begs the question: Who is the single alternative to Trump in a Republican? primary because there isn't anybody else that is there one now i mean no nikki haley i mean there isn't yeah i mean tim scott he's not i mean he's not gonna announce is I he don't, yeah scott I, pence pompeo they're they're not gonna run no. are they i mean they, they no probably reason. i mean pompeo i mean some of these people will just because they're deluded right yeah. they have this grandiose yeah. notion of they should be president but in terms of them taking off no i mean you're talking about meyer down in single digits i don't see any one of them that could win and, or and they have no states. path there's no path to no. excitement over mike pence 
be the all. president of the United Mike States. Mike Pence doesn't have a lane. That is no. the most delusional candidacy yeah. of all of them. Yeah. I mean, he has no support among any faction of the party. So where or how he thinks he could even get yeah. any momentum. Is what party is he running for? I, <laughs> no it's, clue. It's insane. But again, it gets back to what we've talked about. These politicians that just pay consultants to tell them what they want to hear and that have these just notions that I, you know, the country deserves me at this moment. Like I. <laughs> so basically everybody needs, well, I was going to say my grandma would have been a great political consultant because she would have told you exactly where you were and what you were doing. Yeah. You suck. Not you're not going to win. You're out of money. This is a vanity project. You should quit. Every one of them needs somebody That's, like that. Everybody needs to tell that. There was a rare moment of bipartisanship in the in Congress this week where they holded the CEO of TikTok and everybody got to take five to seven minutes of beating the shit out of, out of that guy. Yeah, and I only saw clips. I didn't get to go back and watch the whole hearing, but apparently it was a disaster, so he did not come across well. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a pretty hard lift to ask somebody to say, hey— this is they are geared up for this. The, the Congress, they have they've been waiting on this. You are going to be a bipartisan whipping post. There's nothing you can do except take it. Well, and there's no. So, I, you know, the federal government has already basically said federal employees have to take TikTok yes. off their phones. Many states have done the same. I don't know. Missouri has. I know Kansas did. The I think Missouri did too. I mean, there is inherent vulnerability with the TikTok app because it is based in China and the Chinese communist government has access mm-hmm. anytime they can just say, we want this data and go but and branded as this guy explained to me, it's in a data center in America. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it can't be accessed in China I mean, at all, it, right? I mean, there's nothing that's, you know, I mean, it's on your land, right? I mean, that gives you it was a complete complete shit show yeah it, it's well and there's already been indications um there was a former fbi agent um retired who came out and uh she said that uh they already have evidence um that the chinese government has at different times accessed data tiktok data and Absolutely. batches here and there yeah and that they even believe there's you know americans data has been um accessed at different times so it's an inherent security risk vulnerability it's something we have to figure out and i mean there's really two options here either tiktok is banned in the united states or they are forced to completely sell to an american subsidiary like apple or google or meta or something like that um where it's entirely based here and it's completely separated from the chinese entity that's the only option really and there is precedent for that. Yeah. There's an app that was started by an American VC company, became successful. It was a social app. They sold it to a Chinese company. The United States government stepped in and said, because of the nature of the social interactions of this app, we have a national security concern. We think that the Chinese government could access this data, look for people of certain positions, either in, in politics or economic or culture, and could have influence over them by what they do on this app. And they forced the sale of this app back to an American company. Hmm. Brandon, what app am I speaking of? Got a guess? Uh, no, I'm drawing a blank. Grinder. Oh, okay. Grinder is a gay men's uh, dating app. And they yeah. basically said, be the nature of the interactions on here, somebody could be blackmailed or held influence held over them if that data ever got out and they forced the sale so that, that started as a chinese app no it was an american app oh they sold, sold it to, to a china. chinese company 
and the government forced them force to sell it, it back. Uh, interesting. So that there's makes precedent. Sense. And it's not an app, but there's also, um, what was the phone company? Oh. Uh, Huawei. Huawei. Yeah. Remember? Because that was another one that got banned in the United States because of the ability of the Chinese to compromise yeah. that hardware tech. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about technology, whether it's hardware or software, like there is precedent for this. Uh, so the other thing I want to highlight is I spent a lot of time beating up on Republicans and deservedly mm-hmm. so, especially in this era and the anti-democratic nature of everything. But I, I was really just um, I had to roll my eyes repeatedly, sickened by the protest TikTok pro TikTok protests on oh, Capitol God, Hill. Yeah. You had a handful of very liberal uh, congressmen, yeah. uh, Jamal Jackson, I think, from yeah, New York. Yeah, some younger folks, younger folks, and uh, and they basically turned this into said it's not a security risk. This is just um, it's uh, xenophobia. The fact no. that they you know oppose China, and you actually had like some of these TikTok influencers crying, saying, you know, this is how I express myself. Like I can't imagine living without TikTok. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like. You will find another platform. There's many out there. TikTok wasn't around, what, eight years ago? Yeah, I mean, all we all survived. Do, yeah. Like, this is not end of the world. And, I mean, talk about, like, first world, like... Problems. Problems. Yeah. And, you know, mix up in priorities when, the, like, you're unable to see the forest for the trees. Like, here's an inherent security vulnerability that could have an impact on uh, literally peace in the world and world war and you're all caught up in your own like you know (laughs) just self-expression in terms of using this app i have no sympathy for that it's ridiculous and you know the fact that tiktok paid airfare and hotel to bring all these people out here i mean come on like i'm just no give me a break i I don't buy any of that at all so bipartisan things typically can happen one of two ways one of them is when there's a good that needs to be done and everybody wants in on getting credit for doing the good. Yeah. The second is when something has to be done that's so bad, nobody wants singular blame for it. Biden is not by executive order going to ban TikTok. No. It's 150 million users, predominantly in the younger uh, base that they're going for. He is not going to be the sole bad guy. Congress, it, this is going to take a bill through Congress that Biden supports. Right. The system is going to have to work as designed to spread consensus out the blame, the consensus for this. Because if Biden did an executive order wiping out TikTok, he's going to take he's going to take a hit. Well, There's no way around that. Didn't Trump attempt to do that as well by executive he, order? He made some some talk about it, but I don't think he ever really seriously. Okay. I don't went, know. Went That's what it. I could remember if it was ever proposed. But I don't think. I, I think the legality would be suspect anyway. It would go through a lot of um, court oh, cases yeah. by executive order. It needs to come from Congress. Yes, this needs to be a law. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Everybody, everybody in, in government needs to be a grown up and say, "Hey, we know this might hurt some folks. I get it. It's entertaining, but." Yeah. We're taking this off here. We're taking this away. You just we will survive. Away. Other apps will come. And again, the nature of technology, you know, apps come and go. I mean, okay. <laughs> it's just... Or, or China, just give us your version of TikTok. Yeah. You can only and, be on it for 45 minutes. You know, it's mostly math, science, and history. And by Take the way, that. China has never played by these rules. China does not no. allow Facebook. They do not no. allow Twitter because mm. they don't allow open expression. They, from day one, have banned our American-made apps because they want to have tight control of communications. Uh, so the the idea that somehow we are acting out of line when every step of the way they have tried to create a world where their version of everything is the only version that gets through to their own citizens. They've never played by the rules. And so finally, it's time for us to push back against something that is a security dilemma. And 
what we're really pushing back against is that it's a foreign country that owns this data. Right. They have complete access. It's a foreign country that is hostile, that has made that, that, that has been made clearer. Now, if an American company owns that data and uses it to invade your privacy, tell you, we're, we're all fine with that. My point here is it has nothing to do with the amount of data, the amount of intrusion of what TikTok. the company can collect. It's about That's the correct. government it's about who is using the it. government accessibility. If of this data. were just Zuckerberg or or somebody else, and we're just using it to make billions, we would support that. That that's totally fine. Yeah, because we've all given up privacy, and we're oh, past yeah, we that. Have. We don't we're, we yeah. don't care. We've already made that deal. We've selected convenience out Correct. of privacy. Yeah, we've, over we are privacy. the product, and as long as things remain free, we're absolutely, totally, totally fine with that. Right. It's just TikTok is going to get banned. I don't think there's any way. I don't think there's yeah, any way around that. I think it's going to happen. And I think it has to happen. And I think, especially after that hearing this week, I think. I mean. It, it's even more likely because yeah. that CEO did nothing to quell the concerns. He, there, there's no version of a CEO I think that could do good in that in that meeting. No. He just took it. But your to your point, he he responded sharply. Um, God, I don't know how to say this without having it sound terribly xenophobic. They should have sent an American from the company. Yeah, because the CEO is Singaporean. Correct. Singaporean. Yeah, but. Americans don't draw distinction no, between Chinese, yeah. Singapore. It just it is what it is. Just from a sheer marketing perspective, they TikTok. I think TikTok knows this bad's coming. I think they've yeah. been told, and I think they they kind of put on the appropriate defense, knowing that the fix is already. Yeah, the fix is all, they can already do. in. Now, mm. you wearing your Creighton stuff today. Yes, I'm excited. So Creighton beat Princeton last night by 11 points. Well, and so we're going to our... Smart kids played smart kids. Yes. Uh, first Elite Eight um, ever, technically, unless you count 1941, when we were in a different conference and we were not in Division One. So for all intents and purposes, it's our first Elite Eight. Uh, gotcha. So I'm very excited. We're playing San Diego State tomorrow. Um, it should be a really good game. If we win that they game, we're in the Final Four. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane that you guys one win away from being in the final. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm so excited. It It is. So uh, about uh, 6,000 undergrads, 4,000 grad students. So, yeah, small. Traditional Catholic Jesuit education school. Jesuit liberal arts education. You know, the one thing I remember, uh, which I look back on now and enjoy at the time, I was kind of like, oh, this is too much. (laughs) Um, The core curriculum was so much like you had to take, you know, you had to take math. You had to take science. You had to take art. You had to take religion, like all of this because they want you to be well-rounded um, and it seems like a nightmare when you're an undergrad but like looking back on it like I really liked having that exposure to yeah. kind of everything and so that's part of the, the Jesuit and Creighton's the only college you didn't go to graduate school am I correct? Uh, no I okay. haven't so um, I do want to go back and get my master's The, the only reason point. I ask is I went to McKendry which is a small school like, oh, like yeah. Creighton academically it was a bitch I mean it was like you said multiple That's how classes. Creighton was yeah It was Every every class had a twenty page paper. No tests were multiple choice. You got five questions on a board, six blue books, two hours. Do do what ah, you, I remember just, the dreaded blue books. Right yeah. to the point where you just cannot write <laughs> yep. anymore. I got to grad school at uh, Southern Illinois, which was a a, a publicly. It was a joke. Completely I mean, different. Academically, yeah. the small private school just just blew it out of the water. I could not believe I was a TA. Some of the things that they were doing in undergraduate school, I'm like, guys, this isn't even high school work. <laughs> right. It was. I was amazed at how far 
ahead the private school was from the uh, the state school. Yeah. Now, I got one kid graduate from private school, one kid go to state school. I guess we could put them in competition together and see what uh, see which one does the best. But private Jesuit education is pretty pretty still pretty good. It's still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Creighton's a high academic profile, one top schools in the Midwest, uh, yeah. ranked very high, and they used to be ranked uh, by U.S. News as a regional school. Now they they're in the yeah. tier of national schools for high academic standing, which is kind of cool. I mean, they attract people from all over yeah. the country. Um, and kind of a fun fact, which people don't know, is that we have one of the highest populations of uh, Pacific Islanders of any school in the country because we're one of the only schools that actually sends reps to Hawaii ah, um, okay. specifically to advertise yeah. and to recruit. So we have a very large population of Hawaiian Islanders. And um, one thing I remember very fondly every year on campus, they would have a luau and their families would come over from Hawaii nice. and cook Hawaiian yeah. food and do this whole big thing. It was it was a lot of fun. But Crane's in Iowa, right? No, no. Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just a few hours uh Two hours north, north yeah. of here, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. I know this is another old man rant, and this is like the third time I've waxed back to yesterday was so much better than today. <laughs> but the NCAA tournament has absolutely been destroyed. And I say that because I I grew up with tournaments of the 80s and 90s. The 90s Duke team that had, you know, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill, um, college teams that had three and four seniors, kids that were 21, 22 years old. I mean, actually developing into adults. Um, the UNLV teams that had Stacy Ogbed, Larry Johnson. My point being is that before all of this one and done, before all this G League stuff, before you could go to Europe and make a living playing, kids actually went to college for two and three years. There's a reason why a 16 seed, it took, what, 30 years or 25 what years or whatever before it finally happened? Yeah. No 16-year-old seed was beating one of those blue bloods. When you look at, we'll take a college sports, Brandon, but when you look at college sports, do you root for the underdog or do you root for the dynasty? I typically root for, well, it depends. I mean, typically root for the underdog, although I'm more uh, cautious in my brackets. <laughs> I tend to, and that did it. Go well this year. Pride on it. You always yeah. got to say underdog, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you're, I think, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, and so, I mean, this year, especially with the number of upsets, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, Is there are there any teams left that you're rooting for at this point? I mean, well, there's I, 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 I like people get mad at me, but I, I like the Yankees. I like the Cowboys. Yeah. I, I don't want to see the one team beat the good team. I want to know how far can the good team go? How good is the good team? Are we talking just this year good, next year good? That attracts me way more than than the underdog. So for me, there's not a lot of teams in this bracket or this tournament anymore that I root for because – you could make you could make a hero a villain out of each one of these teams. The UNLV team in the '90s that were loaded with pros with Tarkanian, they were mm-hmm. the villains of the tournament. Yeah, they had the old guy who was obvious the cheater. He used to bite <laughs> on the towel all the time and just sweat. That was a great team to follow. They had character. Uh, they had great players, and the players had all been there two and three, four years, and you just don't get that anymore. Things change so fast. Players are out so fast. Yeah, it is different. Yeah, different. even like Duke, who used to hold on to their players more. A lot of those kids are, are one and done because you yeah. just have to you have to play that way in order to to win. And as you probably know from Creighton, they demand winning. 
There yeah. is no, even at a private Catholic college, there's, it's great that you're pumping out men that are ready to face the world and educate and all of that. But we also got to win some basketball yeah. games from time to time. That's right. That's it, just everybody falls under that category anymore. Yeah. I mean, they do cycle out much faster now. And as well, far as and this tournament go. hurts small schools, too, because now the expectation, if Fairly Dickinson, which they're based out of New Jersey, I think, or yeah, something. Yeah, I think that, yeah. They were the 390th team in the league, but they got in on a technicality. If they can beat Purdue, <laughs> well, the expectation now is everybody should be able to beat the big boys. So, yeah. College basketball is not what it used to be. Not saying it's worse, but right. it is, it's definitely different than when I was a big fan in the uh, in, in, in There the is 90s. something, though, that's fun about just a total unpredictability right now. The True. fact that, yeah, I mean, it's just like everything that, like, the... Uh, that was forecasted just went out the door. Like, there's something just kind have of fun you, about have that. Have you ever been to Vegas? Yeah. Okay. A couple we, times, yeah. We were in Vegas More this than a few week, times. <laughs> during the March tournament, it's the best time to go. We watched oh, the, with all the betting that's going on? We watched the K-State-Michigan oh, yeah. State game at a, a sports book and watched like 25 dudes. Half of them had to be Michigan State grads. Just grown men. Just throw themselves on the ground, <laughs> screaming, shouting. I bet shouting, that was a sight to see. Because yeah. you're mixing, this is my team, and now I have a large dollar amount yeah. based on this team too. Yikes. Really gets people uh, excited, let's say. It's fun, to, it's fun to watch. That would be fun to see, yeah. Yeah, Vegas was pretty fun, but... Always good, good for a weekend trip. Yeah. yeah. It's it's three days and you gotta get out. You can't spend farther than that. Yeah. Brandon, do we have anything interesting to talk about? Or are we done with our hour? Uh, that I think that might be we're, it. We're yeah. still <laughs> getting back into the the the, the groove the, of things. The groove yeah. here. And it, it does take a little bit of time to get back into it. Yeah, it really does. I think we're getting there. <laughs> we'll get there. That's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.